Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. Hey, Rachel, how's your week been? Oh, Chris, it's been a rough week for me. <laughs> really? Why? What's going on? It's just one of those weeks where I feel like all of my kids are just having a lot of challenges and lots of behaviors going on. I got bit earlier this week. I have kids pulling their pants down. Like I just have a lot of uh, behaviors going on and frustration. Like I saw a kiddo yesterday for a consultation and he was just like throwing things. It was just, there was a lot. There was a lot going on. And the common denominator is these kids don't have the language or the communication. So of course they have frustration and kind of these behaviors come out. So I've been trying mm -hmm. to stay patient um, and I typically am so patient, but it's just been like one kid after the next. I'm like, can't we have a good week? Can I have like, you know, a reprieve from all of these behaviors? But that's the, the reality of our jobs, right? You know, I think there's probably a lot of people who are listening right now that sympathize with you, you know, that they're dealing with behaviors as well and looking for a reprieve, like you said, like, can we just focus on the communication, you know, because then maybe the behaviors will get better. Absolutely. And that's the thing is, you know, especially if I'm going into a situation where there's a lot of behaviors going on, I really scale back my demand significantly. And, you know, I'm not saying tell me or show me or, you know, I'm not putting those demands on a, a student, but even then, like I was modeling just like not even close to a kid and like came over, picked my iPad up and like threw it across the room. I was like, oh, okay, so <laughs> we don't throw iPads. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's so interesting. That's a great strategy that you mentioned is that you back off on the demands as soon as the behaviors sort of escalate, right? And then typically you find that that does de-escalate like, whoa, 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 I'm not I'm not pushing you to do anything. You know, this is all you, you're in charge here. You're leading. Yeah. And I think that's where our profession is an art, right? And that's the art part of it is that it's this kind of balance, right? It's different every single day, even from moment to moment across a session, dependent on so many variables. Um, so I think that it's really important to kind of really look at the child that you're working with figure out, you know, what's going on with them. Always check in with the parents is another great strategy. It's literally the number one question I ask. I ask it every session and it's not just with parents, it's with teacher, whoever, like, how are they doing today? Cause like, I need to know, you know, are they having a bad day? Did they not sleep well? Um, you know, does it feel like they're getting a cold? Um, all these things kind of come into play and, you know, knowing that is really important. And then of course, when you're in the session, making sure that if things start to escalate, then we really quickly bring back the demands, you know, but not completely eliminating them, right? So I, I don't want a child to start crying or screaming or throwing things and then say, oh, okay, well, we don't have to do that um, because that just reinforces a negative behavior, right? Um, so we really, you know, need to be cognizant of that. But maybe it's like, okay, we're going to do one more and then I know you want to be all done so we can, you know, get up and go do something different. Um, and so I think it's that balancing act that's hard, especially for new clinicians. When I was a new clinician, I did not understand that. Um, to the extent that I understand it now, it's just, um, it's a dance, right? It's like this balancing act, like, okay, like, can I push them a little bit further and making, making those gains. And we talked about the interview today. I uh, spoke with Rachel Cap and Stephanie Pitts, their education therapists. And during the interview, we talked about 
um, you know, that balance, right? We need to kind of push kids just a little out of their comfort zone um, because that's where really learning happens. But we can't push too hard or too fast because then that's where frustration happens. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I can sort of like picture this diagram of like a like a triangle with a board balancing on top of it, and and you've got a, a foot on either side of that triangle to keep that board balanced. You know, between frustration and learning. Exactly. I know. Rachel, let me, let me ask. It sounds like some of the students that you were talking about this week are new to you. Yes. It's their and first time coming or one of the first times coming to see you? Yes. That can be different too, right? I mean, I would imagine kids that have been coming to you for a while, they, they recognize this as a, as a safe place, as a place that they are sort of the, in the lead and that they, they know that you're not going to push the demand so much that the frustrations get out of hand usually. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it's the new kids that you have to teach them that when they come to this place, that it is a safe place. And I would imagine that's different. Yeah. And they have to really build rapport, right? Knowing that, you know, I'm someone who can be trusted. I'm a friend, not a foe. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's definitely different for kids who don't know me well. Um, the other thing that's really important that I think is worth mentioning is we all like to know what to expect, right? So if we go into a staff meeting, they give us an agenda. And so we know, you know, for 10 minutes, we're going to talk about this. And the next 10 minutes, we're going to talk about this, you know, and it's only going to last, this meeting's only going to last for an hour. Um, you know, a lot of times we put demands on children and they don't know if it's going to be a minute or an hour. And so I think that making you know, it very clear visually what's happening. Um, for younger students, I love token boards for this because, you know, they, they realize at the end of, you know, five tokens, then they get to get up, have some free time, whatever it might be. Um, for older students, I like to write out our schedule. You know, here's exactly what we're going to be working on. Um, first, we're going to do a little spelling practice. Then we're going to take a break. And then we're going to do this, take a break. Um, I just think that everybody likes to know what to expect. So it's really important that we set up our sessions in a way that, you know, the students that we're working with really understands what the expectations are. Sure, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That's a very similar strategy we've used in the past for students who, um, who have writing difficulties. Often that big white piece of paper looks so daunting uh, or that big white computer screen looks so daunting and to say like, write or fill it or um, put your thoughts down. That's just too uh, amorphous. You know, like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? But when you give very visual, simple visual cues, like a graphic organizer, fill these five boxes, you know, put one sentence per box. Suddenly, just like you said, with an agenda or anything else, there's a visual cue and you know when it's going to be done. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I had a discussion with a, another SLP. This was a few weeks ago now. Um, and she was just saying, she was talking a lot about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation and all these things. And we had a discussion and she was very anti-token board. And for me, it's just, it doesn't have to be a token board, but it has to be some type of visual representation of the end is almost in sight, right? Like, and I think, I always think about it. When I think about hard work, I think about the gym. Um, Cause I feel like that's an example that everybody can relate to. I think I talked about that when I was talking with Rachel and Stephanie in the interview today, but I just think it's really important. Like if you're working with a personal trainer and you know, they're like do a hundred sit-ups, um, you know, you count cause you know, like, okay, I can do 10 more. I can do five more. Um, you can get to that, that goal. And so I think that it's really important that we just give some type of visual for kids. Can I say, I don't think it's just writing it down. I mean, I don't think it's just that. I think there's the act of of writing it down and keeping track over time. So once upon a time, I, I was doing a presentation and one of the strategies that I was sharing was this strategy of a reading log. 
right? And reading logs are sort of controversial, maybe in the same way that um, token boards are, it, it, with the conversation you were having, uh, with the idea that, okay, what's a reading log? First of all, it's just anything you read, you write down the, the name of the book and maybe the number of words, or the, sorry, the number of pages that you that you read. And there are some teachers that will assign that like homework, like you have to read so many books and you have to, you know, part of your homework is to write down all these titles of books. And because people think of reading logs in that way, they get a kind of a bad rap, like you're forcing kids to do something. As opposed to, this is a way of documenting your own learning, and and you might like to reflect back on all the books that you've read and see the growth. Oh my goodness, when I first started reading, I was only reading like three pages a night, and now I'm reading like ten. Wow, you know? Um, and that's not to say you're, you should be forced to do it, but it's uh, it's something you might be incentivized to do or offered to do uh, to a student. And I, I see that as a kind of a parallel. Or another way to maybe think of it, Rachel, is you know I I like games. I like I think uh, most kids today are growing up in a sort of a gamified culture. You know what I mean? They play video games, and you see in many games like a progress bar. You know, until you get to level up your character. You know, you've played so many minutes, or you've you made so many accomplishments, and and it's a visual representation, usually at the bottom of the screen of some of different games, that says you're a level six and you're this far away from being a level seven. You know, I think that's exactly the idea that you're getting that behind the token board. It's not, um, it's not necessarily a, a force you have to do this. It's a look at the progress you're making. You know, and look at the progress you've made over time. Is way of you if you uh, kept those things in a in a cumulative way. And the other thing that's also important is, you know, I'll cycle in and out of something like a token board. Um, you know, for kids, I'm doing maybe some pretend play. So, like, we don't need a token board for that. You know, we're just kind of like, I'm following a child's lead. I'm building. I'm expanding. I'm modeling language. Um, and so it's just, it's it's something for tests that are really necessary sometimes to do, but maybe not as preferred for kids. Especially as students start to get older, we can't really avoid some tasks that are necessary but maybe not as fun or exciting. So it's just it's a strategy that you can kind of pick and choose when you use, but I think an effective one, um, especially for young kids. Now you say the word strategy here, and that remind, and everything we've been talking about to me seems like executive functioning strategies, right? And which is the topic of your conversation with Rachel and Stephanie? Yes. So I'm really excited that I had this interview. Rachel and Stephanie are both education therapists, which maybe not a lot of people know what an educational therapist is. And so I wanted to have them on because I felt like, first of all, they're fantastic. Um, they both have private practices in Los Angeles, and that's kind of how I met them. But they have all the strategies. So they basically train students and team members, teachers, parents, other therapists, how to teach kids best? How can a student learn how they learn best? Um, and so they have a lot of really great strategies um, that they shared on today's interview. And I'm just really excited because they're, they're awesome. And they actually have their own podcast. It's called the Learn Smarter uh, Podcast. And I would highly recommend everyone go listen to it. I listen to their episodes and sometimes I think, oh, like I could use this in my own life. <laughs> so they're fantastic. So when I think of executive functioning, I, I get asked uh, for strategies about executive functioning all the time. There's often kids uh, with or without disabilities that they need to organize their life and they're not sure how to do that. And technology is often a way 
uh, that's how I get brought into it, is to, can you help me with technology? Is there a way that my phone can help me set a reminder, you know? Uh, and, and so I'm often giving strategies along those lines. And um, uh, we've mentioned this, this tool in this podcast before, but uh, like a tool that comes to mind all the time to help kids is Google Keep. It has reminders and, and it integrates with a calendar and it's where you put your notes. And, and I can think of so many more. Um, and I don't want to give too much away because I know we are going to be talking about uh, productivity hacks and Google Keep is going to be one of those that I'm going to share when we do our presentation for AAC in the cloud. I'm so excited for that presentation, Chris, because anybody who knows me knows I love any type of technology that can make me more efficient, um, to make me more organized. And so Chris and I are, are joining forces and bringing the best of the best um, of as far as apps or Google Chrome extensions. Um, you know, there's so many different things out there that you can use in order to give yourself more time. I feel like as clinicians, we're always so strapped on time. I like I say it all the time. You know, I wish that I had time to do X, Y, or Z. Or I wish I had more time. Right before we started recording, you know, I hopped on and I was like, oh, I'm so busy. I need. I don't have enough time. <laughs> so let's make our time more efficient and let's maximize our time with technology. Um, and I also think there's a lot of really great tools that you can help facilitate collaboration and communication amongst team members. Um, so definitely sign up for AAC in the cloud. That's going to be on June 25th at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Definitely. It's a free conference. Uh, anybody can sign up and I'm really excited to share all of our productivity hacks with you guys. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to it. Now, as a, as a little teaser, because maybe this won't actually make it into our AAC in the cloud presentation, is that you were telling me about an app just before we recorded that's not really a, a productivity app, but you had this great experience with a developer. Yes. So the app is called Word Wizard, and it's a really wonderful app for supporting early literacy skills. Um, we talk a lot about literacy on this podcast. It's so important, and it's especially important for AAC users. Um, I feel like sometimes we don't you know, necessarily think, oh, let's start supporting literacy uh, with students with the devices, and it's so important. Um, and so Word Wizard is awesome because it has a lot of different capacities, uh, make individual word lists, um, which I love. There's a lot of spelling apps out there right now, but you can't customize the lists. And so I feel like it's especially important for the students that we're working with, you know, to make sure it's functional. Um, that's one of the, my biggest pet peeves is when I come and I see one of my students and they have this like random list of spelling words that mean nothing to them. Um, you know, so how can we create vocabulary and practice practice spelling that's actually functional and personally relevant to students. And that's one of the things I love about Word Wizard. Um, the reason I reached out to the app developer was because I have students who uh, have cortical visual impairment. And I was thinking this would be amazing if we could do this in high contrast. So, you know, having a black background with red and yellow, I think would be really helpful. And so I reached out to the app developer I asked about the high contrast capacity, and I also was wondering if it could integrate with a Bluetooth keyboard, um, because I'm not sure if you guys have seen, but I um, love this keyboard. It's called, I think, Big Blue. It's a, it's a large keyboard, and um, it's Bluetooth, and it's really great to start kids getting accustomed to typing. Um, and so I, I was 
you know, my wish list for this app developer was, can I make this in high contrast? And can we support the use of Bluetooth keyboards? And this app developer was fantastic. He got back to me right away um, saying that, you know, he wants his app to support communicators and, you know, children of all, you know, special needs. Um, so he would love to make those updates the next time he updates the app. He asked for some of my feedback um, as far as, you know, should we have consonants a different color than vowels? Um, and so it was just so great because it's so wonderful when people are so collaborative like that. Um, and so I would just encourage you guys, if you're using an app, app developers love getting feedback. They love hearing what features you would love to see. Um, and so I would just encourage you guys to, to reach out and just see if there's a capacity for, you know, a change. And yeah, I just had a really great experience with that app developer in particular. Yeah, that's so awesome. You know, something else you were mentioning there about literacy is that I had a story this week where myself and one of the specialized instructional facilitators for assistive technology, people that do what I do, uh, met with our specialized instructional facilitators for reading to specifically talk about literacy and students with AAC. Um, and we've had conversations in the past, but this was like a, a, a very big meeting to to, to kind of look exactly how can we start doing that in a more systematic way because I think uh, you know teachers are doing it different ways uh, all over the country right and so if there was some way that we could have you know how how is that going to look in our neck of the woods we really started to to really examine that in a more uh, functional and consistent way so I'm excited about that in the future I think I'm going to have future stories to tell you about um, you know what teachers are doing with literacy and AAC. I love that. And it's so important. I think that it's important to just remember from an early age. I think that's the key, right? Is that I've, I've met so many teams and teachers and even parents sometimes that are like, when I say like, yeah, let's start, you know, working on typing. And they're like, what? Like, no way. Like he can't do that. She can't do that. And, you know, slowly but surely they prove us wrong. And so I think it's just so important to, to keep that in mind, um, even with early AAC users, because I'm having wild success, you know, using that app word wizard. I can't wait for the new updates because it's going to make it 10 times better. Uh, but just like supporting that literacy piece, like showing kids letters and sound to letter correspondence, all these things we can start integrating into our therapy that's already happening. Um, you know, just being mindful of it, I think is the first step. Absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds exciting. So, so there you go. So we started off with kind of a bad week with, with problems and, and behaviors, but now we're talking about like literacy and marching forward. So exactly. Um, Presuming potential always gets me in a better mood. <laughs> oh, awesome. Without further ado, I'm really excited to share the interview that I did with Rachel Cap and Stephanie Pitts. an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people.
Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, and I'm so excited today. I'm here with Rachel Cap and Stephanie Pitts. They're both ed therapists. They're both in Los Angeles, and we're all good friends. So mm. I'm so excited that we're finally doing this. Thanks for having us, Rachel. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm so pumped. I, we, this has been in the works for a long time. And long time. I'm so happy that you guys finally cornered me and were like, when's it happening? Because <laughs> now it's happening. Because <laughs> here we are. Yeah, exactly. So let's just start off um, introducing yourselves uh, a little bit. And then I'm really excited to, to talk about what ed therapy is because I feel like a lot of our listeners probably don't know. Right. Go ahead, Steph. <laughs> so I'm Stephanie Pitts, a Los Angeles native, and uh, I have an educational therapy practice in Redondo Beach in the South Bay, and I work with students of all ages, and I guess that people call me the game guru. That's a little bit what I'm known for. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. She has so many games. Like, <laughs> how many games do you think you have, Stephanie? Over a hundred. Definitely. Wow. That's, yeah. that's awesome. And I'm, she's I'm actually gonna... played them. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a couple I haven't played. There's a couple, like a few that I can't get any kids to play with me, but there's, but most of them I played and most of them, I remember the rules. So that's something. Well, you're very visual stuff. That's true. I am. Yeah. yeah. You're right. So I'm Rachel Kapp. I'm also an educational therapist, also a Los Angeles native. Steph and I met in graduate school and that's where we like to say we fell in love. <laughs> My practice is in Beverly Hills, California. We both have group practice. We have other educational therapists working for us and working with us. Um, my practice primarily focuses on kids with ADHD, kids struggling with executive functioning issues, and the accompanying math, writing, and reading remediation that goes along with all that. So the million-dollar question, what is ed therapy? <laughs> we we have both have, yeah, we both yeah. have different definitions. <laughs> there, we do the same thing, but we define it differently. So the way that I define it is we work one-on-one -on -one with students with different learning needs to help them become successful, independent, and autonomous learners in classroom and in life. So Steph, how do you define ed therapy? I say that we teach kids to learn how to learn and who they are as learners. And we do that by using skills and strategies mm -hmm. and games. Mm -hmm. And I love that because when I first met you, I had no idea what educational therapy was. Um, right. and, I, and I also feel like it's kind of more of a, a West Coast trend. If I say that on the East Coast, people are like, they look at me like I'm speaking Mandarin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can speak to that because on the East Coast, they have coaches. They, ca they call them academic coaches. Mm -hmm. And on the West Coast, it's very hard to find academic coaches. There's only, you know, there's a handful. And really the difference in the models is that educational therapists teach the skills and the strategies and academic coaches or coaches in general help them come to their own conclusion for a strategy. Hmm. And so they do, they ask a lot of questions to help people and students get there. How do you think that you're going to be able to do this? Or what strategy could you use? And in my practice in particular, you know, and I know Rach does this too. We, I use both of them because you need to teach them first and then practice them and you practice them through coaching. And I think the most beautiful thing about ed therapy is I feel like in a lot of ways, no one's really teaching these executive functioning skills, right? Like teachers aren't really teaching executive functioning, they're teaching curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, parents 
they're teaching kind of like how to be a morally good person, how to get your work mm-hmm. done, how to do these things, but they don't have the the training to really teach these executive functioning skills. And so I feel like ed therapy is so cool because it teaches kids how they learn best. Uh, and it uses all of those great strategies that this podcast is focused primarily um, with listeners that are speech language pathologists. Mm-hmm. And we're using these strategies all the time. Um, but it's really cool that you guys have an entire profession dedicated to strategies in a lot of ways. Cause that's like, that's how, you know, we learn how to learn. Totally. So there was a lot that you just said that is totally true. So we do spend a lot of time talking about executive functioning and we can talk a little bit about it here, how Steph and I define it as educational therapists, but it is a huge part of what we do is educating learners about what executive functioning is, but also educating parents about what it is and what it is not. And we always say, because Steph and I are also co-hosts of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. And one of the things we always say on the podcast is that executive functioning is expected and required, but never explicitly taught or discussed. So that's what we do. That's what we come in and, and say, because... And that's what we come in and teach rather because parents don't understand how executive functioning is the underlying root cause of so many academic academic and learning issues for mm-hmm. learners. Yeah, and uh, it can affect reading, it can affect math, it can probably affect speaking sentences and doing things yes. in order. That is all connected. And one of the things that most people do, parents and whatnot, you found ways if, if everybody has some part of executive functioning that they struggle with and you found strategies to cope mm-hmm. for the things that are hard for you. I think what everybody does when they're teaching, most teachers anyway, I was a teacher and I totally did this, was that you scaffold the things that you want to teach. So you're giving, you're giving this, you're going to break down a due date, let's say. And then as they get older, you take that away. The problem being is that as you take things away, you haven't explicitly, most, most teachers are not explicitly explaining why you're doing that or how you're doing it. So they're never explicitly taught why it's a little bit different this time and what you're actually teaching them. It's more about the end goal rather than the process. Just for maybe our listeners who are not familiar, what is executive functioning? What are these skills that we're, you know, talking about? So the way that we easily define it is living life. Everything in life takes executive functioning skills. It's everything from time management, organization, prioritizing, planning. Executive functioning controls emotion and it is... Done task in the initiation. Oh yeah, task initiation, which we like to call task initiation rather than procrastination. Like Steph said, it's the ability to plan, implement, and do your life. So there's several components of executive function that we look at when we're working one-on-one with a student. And honestly, when all of us as practitioners are now just working with the student, we're working with the whole family structure, mm-hmm. right? So we're looking at the whole family dynamic because oftentimes the weaknesses of a parent will mirror the weaknesses of their child. And it's always interesting whether the parent acknowledges and sees that in their child, but that's another conversation. So here are like the six or seven different elements that we have defined for ourselves because there are leading experts in the field like Thomas Brown who have defined executive functioning, but we have our own definitions mm-hmm. too. So it's the it's organizing, planning, and prioritizing. It's time management. 
It's memory. We spend a lot of time in our sessions talking to our learners about what working memory is versus short-term memory versus long-term memory. We really believe in metacognition and having our learners understand who they are as learners and be able to speak the language of educational therapy, so to speak. Um, it's motivation, it's stress management, and it's the ability to sustain effort and process. So it's all these different elements that are coming together. And if you could imagine like um, a rope and you know how a rope has multiple different strings on it. And when you tie all these different strings of all these different elements of educational therapy together, it becomes a really, really strong rope. But when, there, when one or two of these are areas of struggle for our learners, and to be honest, at least one or two of these areas are areas of struggle for adults as well. Nobody is 100% in all arenas. Um, that's where the weaknesses happen, and school is all executive functioning, and all domains of learning require these elements. And I want to add, this isn't just for adults and school-aged children. Right. Your preschoolers are starting to learn executive functioning. It all takes place in the prefrontal cortex, and that doesn't mature until you're 25 or 26. So it starts when you're young, and it just keeps growing. So while Rachel and I work with school-aged children... I also have adults in my practice that come in that want to learn new strategies of how to make their life a little bit easier. So I think it's really, you know, in talking about your audience, Rachel, it's really about breaking down tasks because tasks are age appropriate if when we're giving them. And as kids grow older and become adults, the tasks become harder and we need to always learn how to break them down. So you have to start when they're really young. And can you guys kind of root it in a, maybe a personal example? I know you had talked about like adults, we all have strengths and weaknesses when it comes to executive functioning. Um, what are your guys' strengths and weaknesses? <laughs> Us? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you guys. I mean, Steph and I could, we're so connected. We could both speak to each other's strengths and weaknesses. I would say my strength is I'm very ideas oriented. I'm less interested in how we're going to get there which is wonderful because Steph is very interested in the step-by-step -step process of how we're going to get there. Um, I'm a really good writer and writing is the ultimate executive functioning task. We talk about it all the time because it requires you to hold on to the information that you want to share while physically doing something, while attending to all the mechanics and rules of language. So writing becomes really, really complicated for a lot of students and adults. Mm -hmm. um, it's why people dread it so much. It's because it's the most demanding task. Steph, what would you say my other strengths are? I mean, I'm really funny. <laughs> <laughs> really humble, too. I'm really humble. I, I think you keep track of your, your time really well. Yes. So yeah. I think we both do that really well. And, and that's a good thing because if one of us wasn't as strong in that arena, it would be hard to have a podcast and do right. All the so that we're time doing. management is a huge strength for both of us. And it's probably one of the first things we tackle with learners because time management is a huge component of executive functioning and it's where learners struggle and it's where online portals get really complicated, which is for older students who are entering middle school. Um, they have that added demand, but Steph, what do you think your executive functioning strengths and weaknesses are? Uh, I would say my strength is, is 
definitely breaking things apart and getting things done and how how to make things happen. And I am definitely one of those people that can figure out most things on my own on how to do it. So I think that's one of my, that and my time management for sure is definitely a strength. I think my executive functioning weakness is I hate writing. <laughs> that's so hard for me and I don't like it. So, so yeah, I can do it when I have to, but it's, it just, it takes a lot out of me. So I think that's, that's something that becomes really hard for me. Can I add one more other thing to this? And this is not necessarily an executive functioning strength, but part of executive functioning is life skills. Steph knows so much about so many things that it's really impossible for me to understand how she has this like wide breadth of life experience. For example, um, if I ever have like a small world issue, like the um, <laughs> battery on my car clicker, like I could tell it wasn't working so well for like months. And I'm like, what am I going to do? The, the battery, I'm going to get locked down my car. And like Steph knew how to handle it because I really didn't know how to handle it. So she just has this wide breadth of um, experience that really serves me well. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that you guys bring up really, um, a salient point, which is we all have strengths and weaknesses when it comes to those executive functioning skills. And we kind of, as adults, become self-aware of those things. But mm -hmm. of course, children, they don't have that awareness, right? Mm -hmm. We need to build that awareness in them um, and really giving those compensatory strategies to help children um, not only excel in school, but also excel in self-advocacy and being able yes. to advocate for themselves, um, you know, being able to, to know their strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, of course, we're kind of talking about children who are a little bit older, but I think it's really important to start, start setting those foundations. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of the listeners that listen to this podcast, they have children, um, either their own children or children mm -hmm. on their caseloads who have you know, a lot of complex communication needs, um, a lot of challenges, learning new tasks. Um, but I think that it's an important reminder that sometimes, you know, we, we try to attribute all these things to, um, lack of motivation and, mm. you know, the child's just not interested. He doesn't want to do it. He's behavioral, all these things. When in fact, a lot of times I think we can point to executive functioning, um, especially for task initiation. I mean, we have a lot of, I have a lot of parents um, that I work with who say, well, he just isn't interested in communicating. Ugh. He just doesn't want to do it. He's lazy, mm. all these things. And it's just like, no, I, this is a, this is a neurological issue, right? This Absolutely. is like a brain development problem. Um, you know, so I think that when we shift the focus to that frame of mind, um, you know, it's less, it's less about like the child doesn't want to do the right thing or, you know, cause in my experience, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, children want to do the right thing. They want to please you. They want to do their work. They want to, you know, do all these things, but their little brains, you know, maybe haven't hit that, you know, certain skill area or executive functioning area, um, or it's, you know, severely weak. So right. I just think that's the, that's part of the problem. So you've, t I know Steph wants to help in. So you've, you've hit the trigger word for us as educational therapists, which is lazy. We come from a fundamental belief, which I know you do too, because we've talked about this before, where we believe children want to please and no child is lazy. 
these kids who struggle with executive functioning are working twice as hard to produce half as much oftentimes, and particularly for what I see in my practice with students with ADHD, mm-hmm. that is a thousand percent the case. The problem is, is that it presents and it looks like disinterest. And it's because these kids are task avoidant. They're avoiding the things that are difficult for them. But when we send the message as the adults in the room, and to be honest, sometimes teachers send this message, it's really harmful. And parents will send this message too, that they are just not working hard enough. Mm-hmm. And what learners hear is I am trying so hard and it is not good enough for people. It is not good enough for these adults in my life who I very much want to please. And what we have noticed in our practice is that by the time these students enter into middle school and or are going through puberty, they emotionally disconnect from school. Mm-hmm. Because why would they continue to try when they have tried so hard for so many years? And it's still not enough to please the adults in our lives. So when students aren't doing something and when learners aren't doing something that is either an expectation or something in the family structure that you would hope that they would be doing, the question is not to assign blame, but the question is why. And it's usually because it's hard. Yeah. And so then it becomes the how, how, how to fix it. You know, and I want to add, if you have anything going on with your learner that they have ADHD thing, anything like that, they are usually three years behind their peers. So we're also asking a lot of them and they're three years behind developmentally yeah developmentally so we're asking them to do even more and try even harder so to put that in perspective you might have a learner who's developmentally four years old but you're assigning them tasks that you would assign a seven or eight year old so obviously the expectation needs to be adjusted Mm -hmm. It's, it's not about lowering expectations it's about acknowledging where your learner is is currently and mm-hmm. meeting them there and setting expectations based off that developmental. 100%. And I think that's a really good point as far as the developmental age because a lot of times, you know, I see teachers and even parents, they have this expectation of what a child should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and especially now, I feel like I go into these preschool classrooms. I feel like preschool is a perfect example. And, you know, we're, we're asking three-year-olds to sit for a circle time for 30 minutes. Mm. Mm. You know, and, and then we're with them we're wondering why, you know, some of the kids are, you know, sprawled out on the carpet and, you know, not paying attention and all these things. It's like, uh-huh. okay, we're not taking where, you know, development naturally occurs, right? It's not developmentally appropriate for a three-year-old to sit on a carpet for 30 minutes and pay no attention. Way. So it's just like really important to think through the lens of developmental, um, you know, where a child is developmentally and, uh-huh you know, like you said, not lowering expectations, just starting at a place that's realistic for where they are developmentally and then incrementally, you know, challenging a child. Um, That's how true learning happens. Um, And I think the problem is we just skip ahead to all these skills um, when we don't have that proper foundation. And then of course, kids are struggling because they don't have the right supports. So we need to kind of go back a few steps, um, make sure they have a solid foundation that we can build off of. Yeah. And can we talk about self-esteem for a second, having going along with that? Because I think one of the things that ends up coming up all the time is that we set the expectation and the bar so high that when the children start to fail, then they don't want to keep going, just like Rachel had said. But if you meet them where they're at and you they can be successful, then it becomes 
they want to try harder and they want to do better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, go ahead. The other thing that you said, Rach, which I think we should be very mindful of our language is the word should. So kids should, quote unquote, be doing certain things. So one of the things that Steph and I learned at a program that we participated mm-hmm. in is that we all need to stop shooting all over ourselves. So we need to stop. When we are saying the word should, we need to pause, evaluate what that actually means, and is that actually what we mean? It's something that I help in my practice help parents to understand because it's kind of a fair and understandable thought process that parents go through or teachers go through because they've had prior experience. If there is an older learner in their, in their family, there is an older child, whenever a parent is calling and we're doing an intake, I want to know what number child this is in the family. Because if it is child number three and they have two really highly successful, independent, older children, well, then the expectations are going to be that number three is going to match what number Which one is and number unreasonable. Two It's not fair because unfortunately you're parenting different children. And so parenting skills from child number one and number two aren't necessarily going to apply to child number three because they're all different human beings. So we have to be really mindful. And for teachers, they've had previous class groups where, and I can speak to this because I used to teach preschool. There were groups of children that I had who were really mature, who could handle things in October that other groups of children could not handle until April, May, if ever. So it was about knowing that group of kids and 30 minutes is a long time for me to be sitting and doing one task. (laughs) Fair enough. No, I think that that's exactly right. And I love the idea of really circling in on the language that we're using. And I am, you know, first to say like, I'm saying should all day long. I should do this. I should do that. I should do this. Um, You know, so I think that that's... We hear you say that. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a really great conversation so far about executive functioning and, um, you know, really identifying what are some areas of, of, you know, weakness. Um, I can tell you from my own practice, some of the big areas that I see with the kids that I work with who have complex communication needs are that task initiation. And sometimes that's just initiating any task. Sometimes it's initiating communication. Um, a lot of times because it's really challenging, like you said, um, you know, communicating is hard. And if a child's using a device to communicate, it's even harder. And so I, I see a lot of the task initiation and alongside of that, I see a lot of issues with attention, both auditory attention, especially for those kids with autism, um, where auditory, that auditory channel is not their strong suit. They're more visual. Um, so visual attention can be really high auditory attention, not so much. Um, you know, and so what are some really great strategies for kind of emerging communicators to work on things like task initiation, um, attention, both auditory and visual? Are there any kind of tricks you guys have up your sleeve? We have the luxury, as you do as well, of getting to work oftentimes one-on-one with learners. So I think my biggest thing that I would encourage everybody to think about is isolating what we are doing and why. So that might mean you spend all session working on getting started with a task. And multiple different, I mean, it depends on the learner, right? But if the goal is to be able to start, well, then we need to practice getting started multiple times so that they can understand the first thing that you do is this and the second thing that you do is this. And maybe we only get to the second step. And then we stop 
we pause, we do something of high interest for a hot second, and then we come back and we do it again. And we're constantly doing that. The, the other component of this is you need something highly motivating. Mm-hmm. So you need that reward. So for kids who are super visual, I often will write out the schedule of what they're doing. But honestly, for, and I would do this when I was a preschool teacher, you want to have the language there because you want them to be exposed to, to words and that words have accompanying meaning and all that. But you also want to have that visual there for kids who aren't yet reading so they can know what to expect and then they check it off as they go. That's really, really critical for kids who are struggling with getting started and who are who you like. We often talk about it on our podcast as being what's their currency. Mm-hmm. If you know what their currency is and what they're highly motivated to get to, then it'll help you kind of do that. But you have to start with very, very isolated goals. Yeah. And I was going to say they also need to be, it's okay if they're really small. And which I know that you guys realize that when you're teaching speech and working on things, but you might even take a step back and start with task initiation with things that they do like and sort of giving language to it Mm -hmm. and then transferring it over to something that isn't as motivating. And yeah, I, I agree. It, it has to be, you need to target what is going on. So if it's attention, it's let's pay attention for one more second, or can we count to two or three or whatever it is that you think developmentally is appropriate for that child to be able to work on it. And, and we also always say on the podcast, don't do all the things at once. Mm-hmm. Decide what your goal is and work on that one goal. And then when they've mastered it, move on to the next thing. Because if we throw too many things at them, most of these kids can't handle it and then they shut down or they just check out. And fair enough, I get it. So I think it's, you know, especially when you have rigid kids, which a lot of the kids in my practice are very rigid, sometimes it's just focusing on that one thing over and over again and it's playing a game and I'm very targeted with the games that I play with kids And, you know, I do do some apps, but a lot of gameplay because it's working on so many different skills at the same time. And I can put something in the goal that we're working on within the game. So you can always, Rachel and I always talk about how you can up-level a game. So you could take a game if they are five years old, let's say, and there's a game that they really liked playing when they were younger, you can level it to where they are by changing the rules a little bit. I'll I'll give an example from an older learner in my practice of having a very small goal. And this is where it becomes important as a clinician to really know how to communicate with parents. Because oftentimes, I'll be honest, the kids who are coming to work with staff and I tend to have mild to moderate disabilities. We're not necessarily working with the severe population. I have some severe. Oh, fair point. Yeah. At the moment. (laughs) But I'll give an example of a student in my practice who's twice exceptional. He has ADHD, but he's also very highly gifted. And his only goal of mine was to start to be flexible and show some cognitive flexibility about the way he was doing certain tasks. That was it. That was the only goal. Now, this becomes really, really important to explain to parents because parents oftentimes are coming to an educational therapist and they may not come out and say it, 
but I'm sure you sometimes feel the same way, Rach, but the implied understanding is here, fix my child and fix them in like two sessions. Mm -hmm. I want to see, I want to see the impact like super fast. So the first thing we have to do is really know how to have a conversation with the decision makers and the family about why we're going down certain paths and how it will serve them overall in life. Because for this family, for example, the goal was that this was a kid who should, quote unquote, be getting A's, but he was getting high C's and low B's. And so for the parents, they were very highly motivated for him to be getting higher grades. But for me as the educational therapist and looking at the scope of this kid's life, him exhibiting some cognitive flexibility about why he was doing things the way he was doing and maybe making a shift was way more important. And the answer to why he was doing things the way he was, was because that's how he had always done it. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't serving him anymore. It wasn't working for him anymore, which is the trajectory of all our lives. We find compensatory strategies that serve us for a short period of time, sometimes years. And then something shifts in our life and we have to adjust and exhibit that cognitive flexibility. So that's an example of a very seemingly small goal that will have a tremendous impact overall on the life of a learner. And this reminds me of a phrase that I learned in grad school, uh, mm. the zone of proximal development. Yes. Um, throw back to grad school days. Don't <laughs> actually want to go back to grad school though. So, <laughs> um, but I think it's important because um, I actually have a story that I can share with a little girl that I was working with just last week, one of my clients, and we're really working on her just sustaining attention for things that like maybe aren't as motivating. She has very limited interest, one specific snack food that she likes, um, um, otherwise, we can't really find anything that's motivating. And so I've been working using those visual supports. We have a little um, a little star board for her mm -hmm. and just picking a really simple task, like a, putting a puzzle together, um, something I know that she can do. Maybe she didn't want to do it at that you know moment in time necessarily, but I know that it's, it's possible for her. Um, and so I think that's one of the important things is when we're thinking about kind of sustaining attention or, you know, really putting pushing kids out of their comfort zone, let's not make too many things too hard. And exactly. so I think that that's something I'm constantly reminding myself of and also reminding the clinicians um, who I supervise is like, this task is too hard. Like we need to focus on one thing and yes. one thing only mm -hmm. and, and start building really instant success. Um, and so for this specific little girl, no, I worked on the token board after two puzzle pieces. She was like, I'm over it. I don't want to do it. She started kind of whining. Um, so of course then it was a perfect opportunity to model some language. Oh, it looks like you're all done. Um, you can tell me you're all done. And then of course she, she uses her device and she says all done after I show her how, um, mm -hmm. but that's not where it ends. And that's something that I'm constantly trying to tell clinicians. We can honor a child's communication, but it doesn't mean that they get to, you know, get up and leave from the task. Um, and I would argue that when a child says they're all done, um, in a specific situation where we're, you know, working on a structured task, especially if we have a token board and there's only one more token left, um, it's really in those moments where you can push a child just a little bit out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And if you do that every single session, the progress is tremendous. And so I think that we get kind of, especially with children who, um, you know, maybe have some complex communication needs, you know, a lot of times, especially parents, they kind of just want to stay in their comfort zone, right? We don't yeah. want to rock the boat. We don't want to make a child kind of start squirming out of their seat and yeah, uncomfortable um, getting, and exactly yeah. getting frustrated, but you know, it's a balancing act. We really need to push kids out of their comfort zone just slightly because that's where true learning happens. 
One hundred percent. And in our practices, Steph and I have labeled this idea as the five percent challenge. Mm -hmm. So for us, we'll have kids who, let's say, are very they're avoidant writers. They're going to do the absolute bare minimum that's humanly possible. And this is a this is a frequent reason for a referral is parents are calling and saying, my kid can talk for days about this one topic. But when it comes to getting it on the page, it's like they write two sentences. And so for us, it's not about the fact that they're writing two sentences, but let's give them the 5% challenge of writing one more sentence. Mm-hmm. That's, that's 50% more than what they were doing, right? So we have to keep those things in mind and um, couldn't agree more about pushing kids. This is where we all have to be really intentional about what we're doing when and why. Mm-hmm. And I also think that's the mark of a really great therapist. I think that, you know, we've all kind of seen or known about therapists who it's just like, let's never rock the boat, you know? And I think that as clinicians, it's not easy. I did not want to, you know, push this little girl too far because sometimes it it backfires, right? You get a child too frustrated and then there's a meltdown, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so it's a balancing act and it's not easy by any means, but it's where real learning happens. And I always give parents the example of going to the gym. If I just went to the gym by myself, you know, yeah, maybe I would make some gains, but if I had a trainer there, like I see you struggling with those sit-ups, but like I need to 10 more, you know, that's what makes me have a six pack. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just in case you guys are wondering, I don't have a six pack, but uh, (laughs) a girl girl can dream. (laughs) But it's a perfect example that I think everybody can relate to. You know, we really need somebody pushing us out of our comfort zone. And I really think that's the mark of a, a really great therapist. It's also the mark of a really great friend because I would say that you've pushed us out of our comfort zone at several moments, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> like starting, like starting your podcast. What a great like, like, Yes, <laughs> starting our podcast was. Uh, yes, it was your idea that we do this, and it was a genius idea. <laughs> well, let me just tell all of our listeners. So I, you know, have had the pleasure of knowing Rachel and Stephanie for I guess it's been like three or four years now. Um, right after I yeah. moved to Los yeah. Angeles, I met you guys, and. They They have such amazing strategies. So many times was I sitting, you know, talking with them about cases and they just said, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? And I was just like, guys, you're sitting on gold right now. You can share this with the world. Um, And it was right after we had started this podcast and I was all, you know, into the podcast frame of mind. And so I'm so excited that you guys did start your podcast. Well, I'll let you guys talk about it. Talk about your podcast a little bit and where people can find you. So our podcast is called Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. And we've been doing it for a year now. We've done 55 episodes as of recording today. And we are going to be on our podcast in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, you are, which is exciting. And that was great. And we talk about all the different domains of executive functioning, what we do as educational therapists, what to expect from educational therapy, math, reading, games, what you guys are, all the things. yeah, what you guys are struggling with as parents, all the things basically. I have to tell you guys. I love your podcast. I'm an avid listener. And especially the beginning episodes where you set the foundation, we were talking about, let's set the foundation. Yeah. Uh, you talk a lot about calendaring yeah. and ladies, I mean, you've changed my calendar forever <laughs> in the best way possible. So I, I just, I'm constantly listening to your episodes thinking, 
not only can I use this for the students that I teach, but I can use this for my own life. <laughs> we, that calendaring episode was episode number two, and that was very intentional about, um, because it's where we start with a bunch of our learners. We start with, how are you organizing your things, and how are you organizing your time? And it's the first step for a bunch of kids who are coming through the practice. It depends on their age, but yeah, calendaring is a big part of what we do and why. And we started the podcast because we knew there was awareness about ed therapy like you said like east coast people aren't so familiar with the concept and now we have listeners in crazy places like idaho and oklahoma and if you're in idaho or oklahoma i don't think that you're crazy but it's crazy to me that our reach is that far because we you know we know the impact that we have on our little practices and the kids <laughs> that we work with so it's wild that's the better word to use it's wild to me of our reach but we we want to help as many kids as we possibly can and we know that we share that mission with you reach too and and the work that this podcast is doing and Steph and I marvel at how you are able to enter into a family and you really do transform their lives mm-hmm. like things are transformed in this family structure as a result of getting to work with you. And so the fact that you get to share your genius on this podcast with other clinicians who can then go and transform lives as well. Oh, it's just the best. We live in a great time. What a time to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. And I just love the impact that technology can have on disseminating this information because, you know, it used to be, we have to sit in a course or we have to wait, you know, six months to go to this really great training. Um, And now it's like, we can just open in our podcast app, hit play while we drive right. and, sit in, and sit in LA traffic. Yeah. Um, and it's just so cool. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I just love the work that you ladies are doing. And thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I really think you guys have so much information to share for all of our listeners out there. Please go listen to their podcast. You will learn so much. It's just every week I get really excited for your episodes to drop because I'm like, what, what are they going to teach me this week? Oh, <laughs> we feel the same way. And if yeah. you're interested, it's learn smarter the Educational Therapy Podcast. Steph, it's available on all the things, right? All the things, yeah. Okay. And then um, you can connect with us on our Instagram at Learn Smarter Podcast. And if you want to work with us, that's how to get to us too. That'll work. <laughs> and you guys have an amazing Facebook group, which we can link to in the show notes. Um, so definitely, if you're a Facebook person, join their Facebook group. If you haven't already joined our Facebook group through Talking With Tech, just search Talking With Tech and you can join the, the conversations we're having in there are really interesting. Alongside of your your Facebook group I'm a part of, you guys are, I'm always looking forward to your, your next Facebook Lives. Yes. Um, <laughs> love, love, love. Because you guys are so, not only amazing clinicians, but you guys have have a really great rapport with one another. And so it's really entertaining to listen to you guys kind of talk about your, your experiences. And, um, I feel like it's, it's very evident how good of friends you are. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so thank you ladies so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to share all your genius with all of our listeners. And yeah, I can't wait. We'll have to have you guys come on again. (laughs) I love it. We'd love to. Yes. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will talk to you guys next week. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.